This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. It's America's greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. Happy Saturday. So I actually had the flu for um, pretty much after, right after last week's show until Thursday. But I had to do the show on Wednesday. It was more like a stomach flu. Uh, So I could could power through like Hillary. But uh, I had to do the show on Wednesday because what the heck happened Wednesday? Wednesday was the weirdest news day of all time because of the bombshell intelligence report. Whenever you see something that says bombshell in the headline, uh, it's probably not a bombshell. I just want to read this Huffington Post headline and then the sub-headline. Okay, so this is before you even get to the article. So the headline is, here's how to understand the bombshell new report on Trump and Russia. And then the sub-headline, the line right underneath it. The claims in newly released opposition research documents aren't verified. Listen. If something is in fact bombshell, part of the definition of bombshell is it has to be verified. It can't be bombshell if nothing about the report is verified. What the heck is that? Let me, uh, I know we've been talking about some major themes that we've talked about a lot in the last few years, but they're all seem to have come together this last week. The proper lens to look at this goofy BuzzFeed story about Trump and Russia is uh, knowing the number one priority of TV news producers. And that is to fill time. The number one priority of TV news is to fill time. This report is total garbage, but it satisfies the number one priority of TV news. Fill time. Now you throw on top of that something we've said for years about BuzzFeed, never, ever, ever go to BuzzFeed. Ever. As an adult human, you should never go to BuzzFeed because it is a giant time suck on your life and it is never productive. BuzzFeed is a soulless place where 770 aimless millennials go to work every day and make lists of crap. As a productive adult in society, you should never spend a second of your precious life on BuzzFeed in any capacity whatsoever. You're too good for that. You are above BuzzFeed. If BuzzFeed ever comes up as a link on your Facebook feed, which you should probably also very rarely go to Facebook, but uh, if BuzzFeed ever pops up on your feed, you should block it from ever popping up again. And you are welcome. Kick it out of your life. You're better than that. Now that's just BuzzFeed regular. BuzzFeed news? What are you kidding me? So we don't need to go over the report again. You know everything about it, and it's total fake. It's completely made up. This is this is the new low when it comes to fake news reporting. So I'll just cut to the chase here. A couple priorities. Mother Jones and BuzzFeed are not news organizations. The number one priority of TV news is to fill time. And... 
I'm sorry this is the way it has to go, but you have to assume that everything you read and see on TV is fake, unless proven true. You know the old trust but verify? We're past that. We are in do not trust until you verify. That's just the post-truth world we live in. Now, all that being said, this is nothing new. People are making stuff up forever. When the whole fake news controversy first started a couple months ago, we did a segment you may remember on Ben Franklin, who was a, a frequent purveyor in the fake news. Uh, like funny fake news. So he was in the parody business, but also in the pretty serious fake news. I mean, he made up a story in uh, Pennsylvania Gazette, his newspaper, one of his newspapers that said um, Indians or the British were getting Indians to cut the scalps off of colonists or off of French or who was it off of the French? I forget. Cut the scalps off someone and then send them back to British members of parliament and the king as trophies. And he sent that article all around the rest of Europe to inflame hatred of England. Totally made up. Like just, he just sat down and made the whole thing up. Ben Franklin. And then he did some funny things too. Um, we told the story where he said he uh, wrote in an obituary uh, that Edmund Titus died. So Edmund Titus had to come back and say, he had to write an article saying, I'm not dead. And then Ben Franklin, under a fake name, said, that's someone pretending to be Edmund Titus. And Edmund Titus had to write another article being like, no, I'm definitely really alive and this is really me. And then Ben Franklin went on this whole thing that that's the ghost of Edmund Titus. And then a couple years later, Edmund Titus really died. So Ben Franklin wrote an article thanking the person who was pretending to be Edmund Titus all these years for no longer pretending to be Edmund Titus because he really died 10 years ago or whatever. So, so Ben Franklin, he's done this stuff for a long, long time. Again, some in jest and some with, with serious intent. So fake news is nothing new. I'm not saying it's good, even though that's a pretty funny story, uh, the, the fake obituary. But uh, fake news is nothing new. Glenn Beck, story, Glenn Beck did a story the other day about Upton Sinclair. You've heard the name before. He wrote The Jungle, written in 1906, I believe, about the meatpacking industry in Chicago. I think it's still mandatory reading for most every high schooler or college kid. It's nearly all fake. This, this book, more than any other book I can think of, has the greatest ratio of pitched as real, but is totally made up. Right? I mean, there's a lot of books that are made up, right? But, but it's like, oh, here's a made up book. This is pitched as nonfiction, and it's a fiction book. But people still believe it's, non, it's nonfiction. It's wild. It is a novel. But people take it as gospel. So Teddy Roosevelt praised Sinclair when the book came out. And, and obviously that's what inspired the, um, I forget what the name, it's like the Meat Packing Inspection Act of 1906 or something like that. But when Roosevelt met Sinclair and found out that almost the entire book was a lie, Roosevelt wrote to a friend, he said, I have an utter contempt for him. He is hysterical, unbalanced, and untruthful. Three-fourths of the things he said were absolute falsehoods. For some of the remainder, there's only a basis of truth. So the whole book's fake. 
people don't realize, but there were meat inspectors before that 1906 act. There were meat inspectors when Upton Sinclair went undercover in a meatpacking plant. There were, there were hundreds of inspectors, and none of them, none of them reported anything that Upton Sinclair wrote about in his book. Even though Upton Sinclair only spent a couple weeks in a meatpacking plant. The Department of Agriculture uh, Bureau of Animal Husbandry wrote a report in 1906 about the novel and point by point just refuted almost every claim in the book, called it willful and deliberate misrepresentations of fact, atrocious exaggeration, not at all characteristic of real life. Isn't that amazing? But today, pitched as fact. This is what it was really like. Now, I want to read there. This is what Jack London wrote about the book. Jack London was a socialist, uh, and this is what he wrote in support of the book. He wrote, Dear Comrades, the book we have been waiting for these many years, it will open countless ears that have been deaf to socialism. It will make thousands of converts to our cause. It depicts what our country really is, the home of oppression and injustice, a nightmare of misery, an inferno of suffering, a human hell, a jungle of wild beasts. And take notice and remember, comrades, this book is straight proletarian, so working class. It is written by an intellectual proletarian for the proletarian. It is to be published by a proletarian publishing house. It is to be read by the proletariat. What Uncle Tom's Cabin did for the black slaves, the jungle has a large chance to do for the white slaves of today. So Upton Sinclair's The Jungle was fake news. A made-up novel meant to grow socialism. That that, that was the point of it. To attack capitalism, attack free markets, attack laissez-faire, which did not even exist then, really, um, and usher in big government socialism. That was the point. Written to trick people into ushering a socialist revolution. And in many ways it worked. More regulations were passed, but an interesting footnote to the whole thing, the regulations that were passed were ultimately supported by the big meatpacking companies because they could afford the regulations. The little meatpacking industry uh, companies could not afford it, so these regulations from the federal government actually drove the competition out of business. So the big meatpacking companies actually liked it, and this is true with regulations today as well. Big business likes regulations because they can afford them, and the little guys can't. And it makes it harder for new new companies new competition, to come in and enter the market. So big business loves regulations. But anyway, point is, it's all fake news. It's always been fake news. You have to assume everything is fake until proven true yourself. Keep an eye out for Upton Sinclair's The Jungle in your house when your kids bring it home from school. And you can read it. Just let them know it's, it's made up. It's a novel. Nothing more. one 900 3393 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Be wary of the fake news. Um, 
want to play this clip here. This is Kamala Harris. She was the attorney general in uh, California, where I live. I wanted to play this for you because Kamala Harris will run for president in 2020 or 2024. She will run for president. She just became a U.S. senator. She took over for one of them. I forget. Barbara Boxer and Dianne Feinstein are like the same person. I keep forgetting which one retired. I think Boxer retired. So Kamala Harris took over. Um, and she'll run for president. She checks a lot of boxes with the Democrats and she's pretty smart, charismatic enough, likable enough. So, um, she'll run anyway. This was her grand debut as a U.S. Senator, her grilling of the nominee for CIA director. Isn't it funny? Every article I read about any nomination process, it's always the Senator grilling the right. You know, there's no other, no other verb they use. They're only grilling the, the, the nominee. Um, so this is CIA director. He's running for CIA director. He's nominated for congressman in Kansas. He graduated first in his class at West Point, went to Harvard Law, Tea Party guy. So this is the grilling. It's like two minutes. And I, I, I want to play this because this is exhibit A of why these confirmation hearings are just a bunch of silly grandstanding. Uh, but here's your, your, your first listen, perhaps, into someone who will uh, run for president for the Democrats in four years. 1230, uh, 1273. CIA Director Brennan, who spent a 25-year career at the CIA as an analyst, a senior manager, and station chief in the field, has said that when, quote, CIA analysts look for deeper causes of rising instability in the world, one of the causes those CIA analysts see as the, is the impact of climate change. Do you have any reason to doubt the assessment of these CIA analysts? Uh, Senator Harris, I haven't had a chance to to read those materials with respect to uh, climate change. I do know the agency's role there. Uh, Its role is to collect foreign intelligence, to understand threats to the world. That would certainly include threats from uh, poor governance, regional instability, uh, threats from all sources, and deliver that information to policymakers. And uh, to the extent that changes in climatic activity uh, are part of that foreign intelligence collection task, uh, we will deliver that information to you all and to the president. In the past, you have questioned the scientific consensus on climate change. Nevertheless, according to NASA, multiple studies published in peer-reviewed scientific journals show that 97% or more of actively published um, climate scientists agree that climate warning trends over the past century are extremely likely due to human activities. In addition, most of the leading scientific organizations worldwide have issued public statements endorsing this position. Do you have any reason to doubt NASA's findings? Senator, I've actually spoken to this in my uh, political life uh, some. Uh, My commentary most all has been directed uh, to ensuring that the policies that America put in place uh, actually achieve the objective of ensuring that uh, we didn't have catastrophic harm that resulted from change in climate. I continue to hold that view. Uh, I frankly, as the director of CIA, I uh, would prefer today not to get into the details of climate debate and science. It just, it seems my, my, my role is going to be so different and unique from that. It, it is going to be to work alongside warriors keeping Americans safe. Uh, and so uh, I, I stand by the things that I've said previously uh, with respect to that issue. So I'm not clear. Do you believe that NASA's findings are debatable? Uh, Senator, I have to tell you, I haven't spent (laughs) enough time to tell you that I've looked at NASA's findings in particular. I just, I can't give you any judgment about that today. Can you guarantee me that you will and will have a follow-up conversation on this? 
I, I'm happy to continue to talk about it. Yes, ma'am, of course. <laughs> what the heck? This is CIA director. What are you talking to him about climate change for? Every response he gave was the nicest version of what is your problem, lady, that he could possibly muster. Hey, do you believe the NASA science? Do you believe it? He's like, I don't what? I don't even. I love at the end. She's like, well, can you promise we'll talk about it again? Like his number one priority there was to end the conversation. So he's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we'll definitely talk about it. But you like <laughs> what he really wanted to be, be was, no, we, we will never speak on this topic again. I, I am hard pressed, Senator, to think of a topic that has less to do with my job than climate change. So, no, we will never speak of this again. I, I will, in fact, put your office on direct to, to voicemail because th this is absurd. If this is what you're actually going to question me on. Kristen Gillibrand is a senator, excuse me, congressman in uh, Syracuse, New York, where I grew up. And uh, she talked to or grilled uh, Mad Dog Mattis on gay people in the military and does that affect climate readiness or something like climate excuse me uh combat readiness and he's like listen i don't care i don't care who people go to bed with just whatever he's like oh but what do you what do you what do you really think he's like i, I don't care no but i want you on the record what do you really really think? he's like I, I, my job is to kill people and break things like i don't I, we don't even care who you, right so but like, does that prove that democrats still don't get it they're talking to these guys the cia director in the department of defense about Gay marriage and climate change. What are we talking? What, 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 what's going on? Get a clue. I only got two minutes. I want to talk about Rex Tillerson real quick. Um, Secretary of State. No honest person could be anything less than impressed with him and, and the job he did uh, in his proceedings. The most noteworthy exchange was between him and Rubio. I don't know what Rubio's deal was during that. Rubio was trying to get Tillerson to say that Russia is a war, or Putin's a war criminal. And obviously he wouldn't do it. I don't see what good that does, Marco, to get the next Secretary of State to put him on the spot to do that. You know he won't say that Putin's a war criminal. And what good would that do anyway? If you call Putin a war criminal, that doesn't leave the nation's top diplomat much room to work with. Everyone knows who Putin is. Everyone knows what he is. So why push Tillerson on that? This is why Tillerson, and ultimately he said, my interests are the same as yours. Our interests are not different, Senator. There seems to be some misunderstanding that I see the world through a different lens. I do not. I share all the same values you share and want the same things the world over in terms of freedom. Of course he does, Rubio. Chill out. Why make a big deal about that? I don't get it. I, here's the thing. I don't mind honest questioning, but what Rubio was doing wasn't honest questioning because Rubio knows what Tillerson thinks about Putin. No one's really wondering what any of these nominees feel about issues. It's all grandstanding so that these senators can get a couple clips to play back on their, their, you know, on their Facebook page or something like that, get a couple likes. It's not like Rubio was really wondering if Tillerson thinks Ruby, uh, thinks uh, Putin's awesome or, or like, like we know we know <laughs> everyone we get it okay so why put him on the spot no reason to do that but Tillerson handled it fine handled it fine obviously one 93 I want to come back share a story here from an honest person who hates Trump supporters but but he's honest about it and honest about why, um, 
but he misses one important point. And this is very important in case you know someone who hates Trump supporters as much as this guy. We'll talk about that next. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. Slater presenters. Tom Kreider writing in The Week. I like this article. It's really honest. Um, it's about how he doesn't know how to deal with Trump supporters. Uh, he says, my official policy towards a Trump administration is straightforward. Defy, paralyze, and undermine it in any way I can. I remember when uh, some conservatives said they were going to do that about Obama back in 2008, and that was the worst thing ever. What's going to be more complicated is formulating some coherent attitude towards the 62 million of my fellow Americans who elected that administration. And he tells a story about how over Christmas, um, let me see if I can quote here, actually. He says, I only know two confirmed Trump voters. One, by the way, real quick, how many Hillary voters do you know? I can't even count. I know dozens. I know dozens of Hillary voters. This guy knows two Trump voters. One of them is from Texas and the other is a Marine. So they both have their excuses. I recently sent a text to the, uh, the woman from Texas, letting her know, check this out, letting her know I wasn't going to meet her for dinner while she was in town because I considered her vote for Trump unconscionable. Wow, what a jerk move. <laughs> what a total jerk thing to do. And apparently he goes on to say that she just broke up with her abusive boyfriend and he says he kind of ended up feeling like a jerk not meeting with her because he should meet with her to cheer her up and be a friend. And like, yeah, what what a dope. What are you doing? I, I, I wouldn't fathom. And I, again, I know a ton of Hillary supporters. My mom's a Hillary voter. Like I, I would never imagine being. Oh, I'm not. I can't even. I'm not even going to meet with you. What do you mean? Um, and then he goes on and says, "My feeling has always been that if religion or ideology has become more important to you than actual human beings, something may have gone seriously wrong with your values." Yeah, but you did. <laughs> I mean, you 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 didn't meet with your friend because of her vote. So you did not live according to that value that day, sir. Anyway, here's why I bring up this article. This is his description of why people voted for Trump or, or, or why people are conservative. Um, a vote cast for Trump is kind of like a murder. There may be context to consider a disadvantaged background, extenuating circumstances, un understandable motives, but the choice itself is still binary and final, irrevocable. <laughs> right? So you can vote for Trump, and yet for different reasons that may or may not make sense, but still, there's a case to be made that it's indefensible that his supporters have forfeited any right to be respected or taken seriously. The conservatives of the heartland have lashed it back against the coastal elite's condescending classist prejudices by defiantly confirming them that we are pathetically dumb and gullible, uncritical consumers of any disinformation that confirms their biases, easy dupes for any demagogue who promises to bring back the factories and keep the brown people down. Let me quick time out here. All people are capable of being pathetically dumb and gullible. 
all people of all political persuasions are capable of being uncritical consumers of disinformation that confirms their bias. All people of all political persuasions are easily duped by any demagogue who promises whatever they want. One of our priorities of the, of, uh, the election, but after it, is to have the humility to understand our own weaknesses and have the humility to understand our own biases, etc. This gentleman does not. Where he thinks only conservatives are gullible. Only conservatives have confirmation bias. Only conservatives can get riled up by a, a, a good speaker. Come on. Everyone is capable of that. All right, last line. And then this is what I wanted to get to. Ignorance and bigotry are actually the best possible motives for having voted for Trump. They're at least honest. But I don't believe all Trump voters are ignorant or bigoted. Most of them are just evil. This is in the week. This isn't some crazy blog. This is a published piece. Evil being defined not as anything so glamorous as beheading journalists or gunning down grade schoolers, but simply as not much caring about other people's suffering. That's the sentence I want to talk about. Conservatives are evil in the sense that they don't, you don't care about other people's suffering. They're willing to consign someone else, someone Mexican or Muslim or trans, not anyone they know, to exile, arrest. By the way, I know Mexicans, Muslims, and trans people. So uh, consigning them to exile, arrest, or second-class status in exchange for what? A tax break? To send a message to Washington or the mainstream media just out of spiteful, petulant rage? Okay, we'll stop there. This is what I want to get to. I could address every part, obviously, but just roll with it. This line here is the faulty base which upon which this, this man is, is building his bridge. This is the sand that he is building his house on. That conservatives and Trump voters are evil in terms that they don't care about other people's suffering. Nonsense. We, you, I, we all care about other people's suffering. The difference is we disagree, conservatives and progressives generally disagree on the solution to people's suffering. So do you see how this writer misinterpreted that? He, so, so I'll give some examples here, but we see someone suffering. Okay? They believe to solve that suffering, we should do X. I look at that, you look at that, and say, well, no, to solve that suffering, we should do Y. This progressive interprets us because we think Y is the solution as not caring about that person's suffering because we have a different solution to the suffering. Therefore, we don't really care. Because we disagree with them on the solution, we actually don't even care about the suffering at all. That's incredibly closed-minded. I'll give an example. There's a mentoring group here in San Diego. It's actually across the country. It started here in San Diego called Boys to Men Mentoring. And they meet in schools. It's an in-school mentoring program. Middle school boys. That's the age they target. They come from broken homes. A lot of issues. They're headed down the wrong path to jail, gangs, drugs, you name it. A lot of suffering in these kids' lives. 
They've seen a lot that no one could ever see. They have way too much responsibility on their plates um, as, as, as middle schoolers. A lot of pain and guilt. Um, they have a, a ton of emotions, like abandonment, and they don't know how to express them. So they lash out at school. They're violent, disrespectful, don't listen to adults, don't trust anyone, et cetera, et cetera. We've seen it a million times. So we all see that suffering, Tim. You see a suffering 12-year-old boy with a terrible home life. I, conservative Mike Slater, see that suffering. Don't tell me I don't care about that suffering. We all care about the suffering. I, know, I think you care about the suffering. So at least give me that I also care. We all care about the suffering. Where we differ is how we solve the suffering. That's the disagreement. Not in caring about the person. We all care about the young man's suffering. But of course, Tim and other progressives believe we don't care at all. I want to help this young man. Now, how would Tim help this young man, this 12-year-old? Probably some, think the solution is some government program, right? More school counselors, restorative justice. Don't even get me started on that lately in, in our schools these last few years. He would think that, well, we need to, uh, we need more pre-K programs and pre-pre-K so that the government can educate children sooner. And right, I mean, who knows? Like some big government solution. We need an after-school government program to help. No. I think the solution is short-term because there already is a problem here, right? We have long-term solutions and short-term. Short-term here, mentoring programs like Boys to Men, led by men who have gone down the wrong path, who can guide these boys and teach them the right path. That's how you solve this particular suffering. So because I, I believe that's the solution, not some big government program coming from D.C., don't tell me I don't care about the suffering. I care about it. I want to solve it. Now, I believe my way of solving it is better than your way. But I don't think you don't care about the suffering. I have the humility to, to say, well, we just disagree on how to solve it. I'm not going to tell you you don't care about his suffering. Although I could come to that conclusion because I don't think your solution will, will come to a, 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 is a solution at all. But I'm not going to come to that conclusion because that's absurd. I'm going to assume the best of your motives. And I'm going to make an argument as to why my solution's better. So that's short term for that young man. Long term, it's just strength in families and church and society. That's it. But why would Tim assume the worst about, you, about your soul that you don't care about human suffering? We can, we can pick any, any person, anything. Pick any, uh, we'll do a poor immigrant. Right? Poor immigrant. Do we not care about the life that they will might live in a in a drug infested poverty stricken country maybe a war torn country of course we care about that suffering the question is what do we do to help that suffering well we want an immigration system that is efficient and effective where we know who people are maybe where we have a sponsorship program so that there's some actual real accountability and connection that immigrants have to people who currently live here and they're not just left on their own to live in American ghettos and where they can come to America and assimilate based on our values because we believe that our values best contribute to human thriving. 
That's, that's the solution we want. Why do we know that this model works? Because this is how it's always worked in American history. How many stories of immigrants who come to America with nothing in their pockets do we have to share before we prove that this is how it should be done? As opposed to just game on. Don't assimilate, game on, do whatever you want. No. That's not the solution. So to sort of argue for a common sense immigration system, a streamlined immigration system, which is what many conservatives want, does not mean that we don't care about human suffering. But listen, in the, in the end, it's fine because they, they can continue to assume the worst about conservatives. I, I look forward over these next four years on a, on a national level and also on a, on a local level to proving this Tim gentleman and many other people very, very wrong about conservatism. Now that we're in control, we can prove them very wrong. one 3393 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. So, I don't want to be a jerk here. I only got two minutes here. Um, this, this is not... Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, therefore encourage one another and build each other up. Uh, this is this is this is not a a building up two minutes, so I will watch myself. But did you see the president gave Joe Biden the Presidential Medal of Freedom with distinction the other day? I, I don't want to be a jerk, but what has he done to deserve the nation's highest civilian honor with distinction? The with distinction part has only been given to Ronald Reagan, Pope John Paul II, and Colin Powell in 1993, back when he was a four-star general. Joe Biden? What are you putting Joe Biden in there? So Obama said um, uh, he he honored Biden's lifetime of public service. Yeah, but who cares? Like everyone, like there's a lot of people that have a lifetime of public service, but also public. It's not even public politician. Lifetime. That's what it is. Biden's lifetime of being a politician, including his decades in the Senate and eight years as vice president. There's a lot of people who have done that. From championing the Violence Women Act, his diplomacy, his diplomacy his cancer moonshot, and his It's On Us campaign to combat sexual assault on college campuses. Listen, that's all fine. That does not deserve the highest civilian honor. Are you kidding me? The Violence Against Women Act. Like, okay, bold stand there. The cancer moonshot was like a year ago. Has anything come from that? And what was the other one? Oh, his diplomacy, whatever. And his It's On Us campaign uh, against sexual assault on college campuses is based on mathematic impossibilities on campus assault. I don't want to go into the whole thing now, but back in 2014, when Joe Biden made this a thing, he made two statements about campus assault. One was that one in five women have been assaulted. And the other was that 12% of student victims report assaults. Only 12% report assaults to law enforcement. Those numbers mathematically can't both be true. I, I we don't have time to go over the math, but just like that, those those two statements that Joe Biden made in 2014 and, and they issued reports about it and all this can't both be true. Mathematically impossible for one in five women to be assaulted and only 12% of students who were assaulted to report those to law enforcement. Those two things can't be true at the same time, but they're enough for Joe Biden to earn the Medal of Freedom with distinction. Come on. I think he's likable. I think he actually could have beaten. He's the one person who could have beaten Trump. I said that for a year and a half. But come on. Just given the number one award to politicians just because they've been a politician for a long time? I don't know. 
the Chargers left San Diego, which doesn't affect a lot of people, but there's some actually really important economic lessons. We'll talk about that next. Spread the word.